Good evening and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm your host, John Tarleton, editor in chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website online at independent.org, I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T.org. I'm joined by my co-host, Amber Gagarian. Hi, John. It's great to be here with you, and welcome to all of our listeners on 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org. We have a fantastic, hard-hitting show today. We're going to take a closer look at how power is wielded and how the sausage is made in state and local politics. In our first segment, we're going to delve deeper into a dramatic showdown that recently occurred in the state legislature in Albany. Supporters of greatly expanding the state's role in producing renewable energy won approval in the state Senate, but then the measure died in the state assembly without a vote. But and we'll speak and we'll uh, we'll look at that closer uh, by speaking with State Senator Jabari Brisport, who was in the middle of the fight to pass the bill. Re- Public Renewable Energy Act, and we'll hear from Iapa Sari Tupac. He is running for a state assembly a seat in Lower Manhattan as a climate champion. He'll let us know what he's hearing about climate action as he talks with voters. And in the second half of the show, we'll talk about how the new city budget that was passed last night was. Sorry. And in the second half of the show, we'll talk about the new city budget that was passed last night. The $101 billion fiscal year 2023 budget includes full funding for the NYPD, but cuts for a number of city agencies, most notably in the Department of Education. To get this budget through, we're going to see how Council Speaker Adrian Adams used her control of over a $41 million pool of money that is divvied up among city council members to aid groups in their district. A half dozen progressive and socialist city council members who did not support the final budget were cut off from that money. But first, we turn to Albany, where climate activists hoped that Democratic supermajorities in the state Senate and state assembly could deliver historic legislation that would greatly expand the state of New York's role in producing renewable energy and in in the process create tens of thousands of union jobs and lower lower power rates for consumers. The Build Public Renewables Act did pass the Senate at the end of May, but then died in this assembly without receiving a vote before the legislature adjourned for the year. Joining us now to talk about the battle for public power in New York are State Senator Jabari Brisport of Brooklyn and Iyapa Saritupak, a climate activist who is running for state assembly in lower Manhattan. They are both Democratic socialists and supporters of public power. Senator Jabari Brisport and Iyapa Saritupak, welcome to WBAI Radio. Thanks to, for having us on, John. Sure. And, and so, uh, Jabari, let's start with you. Uh, uh, can you summarize uh, what uh, the Build Renewable uh, uh, Power Act, the uh, Build Public Renewables Act, uh, what was at stake there and who was supporting it and, and the, the level of support that there was for it? Yeah, sure. Uh, so Build Public Renewables Act or BPRA would have been uh, an incredible win for the, the climate movement and the left at, at large. You know, it basically allows us to build out um, publicly owned renewable energy generation and distribution uh, to meet the needs that the, the private sector is failing and would help us make, meet our, our targets for, for the CLCPA. Um, I guess one way to say it is that it, it died in the assembly, but another way to phrase it is that Speaker Heasy blocked it from coming to a vote, which is more accurate in my opinion. Right. And and, and can you just sort of guide us through this uh, uh, process as it unfolded? Uh, uh, 
how it uh, got out of the Senate. Uh, how did that happen? Because it, it didn't seem to be going anywhere too fast. And then all of a sudden, uh, it kind of caught fire and, and was passed by the Senate. And I know it, there was some amending of that legislation that was done to assuage the concerns of uh, late, some labor unions in, in New York. But first, tell us, I guess, the good part, how you got this through the Senate. Sure. Um, you know, the bill has been around for a few years now. The the Senate sponsor, Senator Parker, was not agitating around it or, or really pushing it very hard. We had the, the benefit of Deputy Majority Leader uh, Senator Gennaris really take up the mantle of advocating for the bill in the state legislature. He actually ended up defending it on the floor when Republicans wanted to debate it because Senator Parker was nowhere to be found. And it was really through um, Senator Gennaris was, was one um, huge push, but also um, amendments that made the bill even better for labor, such as including um, project labor agreements for for these uh, these new construction processes, which was able, were able to appease some, some unions. Right. And, and uh, Senator Parker, I mean, he's facing a primary challenge himself from another climate advocate. Think yes, from uh, the candidate, David Alexis. Right. So so you got it through the state Senate where you have a supermajority and then you have a, a supermajority in the assembly well, as well, a Democratic supermajority. So talk about uh, uh, Speaker Heasty's role in uh, in nixing this and, and what you were doing to and others were doing to try to, uh, you know, build support in the assembly. Sure. So the speaker's um, role, like the leader, like any legislative leader, means that he has the ability to bring a bill to a vote or block a bill for, from coming to a vote. So BPRA was the most co-sponsored uh, piece of climate legislation in the state legislature this year. Uh, the speaker claimed that there weren't enough votes to bring it to a vote and that, you know, his fear basically that if you brought it to a vote, it would, it would fail. Um, and in order to assuage those concerns, uh, many legislators like myself, like Assemblymember Mamdani, uh, Assemblymember Kellis, I believe, um, in those last days, reached out to numerous assembly members, asking them to confirm with the speaker that they would vote yes if it were brought to a vote. And this was not just an inside thing on the outside. Uh, many um, activists and um, advocates were also reaching out to assembly members to um, confirm with the speaker that they were ready to vote yes, um, whether they were a co-sponsor or not. And, um, you know, but by our count, there were, I believe, 83 people willing to vote yes on it, uh, which is more than enough to um, to pass the bill. And yet uh, Speaker Heasty blocked it and refused to bring it to a vote. And what reasons would Heasty have for opposing the legislation? You would have to ask Speaker Heasty for his uh, his his opposition to the legislation. Um, the, the the one that came to me the most was that he thought there weren't the votes there, and the fact is the votes were there. But if there were other reasons, uh, I, I think you know, ask him. <laughs> well, um, okay, we we don't have him on the show today. Uh, <laughs> so how much? I mean, how much uh, influence does does uh, you know? special interest uh, money and support have here. I mean, what we were seeing a lot in the press was uh, you know, different power, produ- private power producers, in- including the solar energy industry, uh, were opposed uh, uh, to the um, Public Power Act. Uh, was that the sense you were getting as you lobbied uh, your um, fellow legislators? 
Yeah, I had some legislators say they wanted to learn more about what the opposition was and didn't have time to find out more about what people's concerns were about the bill before um, the end of session. Uh, it, it is a fact that, you know, some of these private companies do do, do donate to, to candidates. Um, and I think, you know, we need to be vigilant in ensuring that we're doing the best thing for, for New York and, and the climate at large. Um, but, you know, everyone's donations are publicly available. Certainly. Uh, and, um, yeah, I mean, speaking of those donations, I mean, the, just in terms of the mechanics of how power works, uh, I mean, Heasty controls uh, in, in each legislature, uh, the the speaker or the majority leader, you know, control um, uh, campaign funds. And Heasty controls the Democratic Assembly campaign uh, fund. And, and he's he's able to allocate money uh, to incumbents who are up for re-election. Um, can you talk a little bit about this process? How essentially the somebody like the speaker can uh, accumulate this large, essentially uh, legal but uh, campaign slush fund that he can then divvy out money to you know loyal allies to uh, back them up when if they they're facing uh, tough primary challenges uh, like we. Or is, which has become more common in recent years, in part due to your organization, the Democratic Socialists of America. I mean, this, how this sort of like money wheel, uh, you know, tries to propel the the status quo. Sure, you know, I can't speak in depth about um, the DACC and the macro, but if I can give a specific example, um, in the race for Assemblymember Mamdani versus Assembly, or well, when he was challenging Assemblymember uh, Simotas. Uh, uh, I believe the DSCC donated over one hundred thousand dollars to her campaign in the um, in the final week or two, in order to to help her, which is just a, a sizable um, amount of money. And ju- and just for reference, the uh, the cap that a everyday citizen can donate to a assembly candidate is forty seven hundred dollars. Right, that's uh, that's really something. Um, uh, Amba, I think you had a question. I was just going to ask you, Jabari, um, to explain a bit in more detail what this would do um, for everyday New Yorkers and how it would change power and bolster the public power system. Yeah, well, I think the main thing would be decreased rates. I mean, you would be paying for the electricity and not the electricity plus the uh, the profits to go to a corporate board, um, which I think is relevant to a lot of New Yorkers who are seeing their electricity um, bills spike. Um, whether that's for Con Ed, you know, for, for whatever their electricity provider is outside of outside of New York City. So this would be a way, one, to guarantee that we stay on track to meet our climate goals of reaching um, our targets for renewable energy and also reducing rates and prices for everyday payers, everyday New Yorkers, by removing the profit motive for, for energy. Right. And, and um, uh, we're going to go to Yapi Seri Tupac in just a minute. But one more question is sort of about the inner workings of the legislature. Uh, how much of the hesitation around the Build uh, Public Renewables Act do you think was due uh, not just to special interest influence, but, uh, you know, these more conventional uh, Democrats that are the majority in these caucuses uh, just being uh, hesitant ideologically to sort of go uh um, beyond sort of the normal framework of providing incentives to pi- private industry to do the right thing and, and taking this leap into expanding the, the public sphere and, and, uh, and sort of taking profit out of the equation as a way to um, 
advance uh, public interest goals. Do you sense that like kind of yeah. unwillingness to let go of the neoliberal uh, paradigm of progress through private profit? I, I do sense that. And, and to be honest, some of the pushback I heard from uh, a senator who was in opposition to the Build Public Renewables Act would be that the uh, it dis- disincentivizes private companies from investing or coming to New York um, for uh, renewable energy, which, one, it doesn't because it is um, it is a bolster to what the private market is doing. And two, even if it did, um, that's OK, because the private market is failing at meeting the renewable energy goals um and we we do need the public sector to, to step in and and meet those yeah I, I um, saw I com- just, sorry yeah uh, yeah I if i can just say um okay go on um, one more thing too just yeah. I, I forgot to mention um because of the incredible pressure from you know from the outside and from legislators uh regarding speaker Heasty's blockage of the bill of public renewables act he will be hosting a hearing on it at the end of july um and i believe the demand is not only to you know have people attend or watch that hearing and elevate it, but also for the calling of a special session uh, to pass Bill Public Renewables Act um, this summer or fall, um, but before um, next year's legislative session. Right. We're, we're definitely going to keep an eye on that. Well, so this uh, uh, act was uh, stalled in the legislature. There's uh, currently six Democratic Socialists uh, in the combined in the state Senate and state assembly. And, and now DSA is running another slate of candidates this cycle. Um, altogether, you have a slate of 13 candidates, six incumbents and seven um, new candidates. Uh, Iapa Siri Tupac, uh, you're one of those candidates. Uh, I guess both of you, but starting with Iapa, what, what do you think the difference will be if it say you have 13 uh, socialists in, in, the state legislature instead of six pushing for public power. Uh, how will that make a difference? And if you can, if you can start with that and then we want to hear more about your, how your campaign is going. Sure. So um, obviously with DSA, we're trying to really create a big uh, voting block in Albany and we made a lot of headway already having six people in, in Albany and we're hoping to add more to that. Including myself, I will say that, um, so Jabari was speaking beautifully about how, you know, they were organizing internally in Albany, him and Zoran and some of the other comrades who've been elected and on the outside, but the organizers like myself, we were also making phone calls to our legislators. We were, we were pressuring them to, you know, can you call, can you call, call him? Can you text Carl Hasty? Can you call him? Can you, can you pressure him? And we've been the whole night before the vote, there was a real buzz in the air because it passed the state Senate and we felt, oh my God, we might actually win this year. And so we went all out. We had this list, the Excel sheet of all the, Assembly, assembly members who had pledged to vote for this and we were pressuring them, talking to the chief of staff, talking to them as well. And, and I really do believe that it would have passed had we had to even come to a vote. So it's really heartbreaking. I'm so very upset that didn't come to a vote. Fingers crossed for the special session. I've never, I don't ever remember this happening recently anytime, you know. Um, so we're very, very hopeful that maybe we can cause some change this year. And it's going to happen because of so many folks who've been organizing on the ground for years for this fight, including myself. Um, while I did not write this bill, my friends did, and I'm very proud of that. And we've come in three years really close to passing real comprehensive climate change uh, uh, bills that can protect the working class. And for me, I, uh, I'm i running to represent Lower Manhattan, which, you know, the District 65 comprises Chinatown, Two Bridges, Lower East Side, Seaport, Little Italy. And we've knocked over 40,000 doors already, and we're hoping to win this to be another member, to be in the Assembly, to pressure Carl Hasty, to pressure our colleagues from within to have these meetings, to have these sit-downs, and, and to let people know, hey, like we're, we're increasing power as leftists in, in here in Albany. We're not going away anytime soon. Let's work together. 
let's pass comprehensive legislation that can protect our renters, protect our, our folks who are at the mercy of climate sin with their ever exorbitant rate hikes. And it's a very exciting time for us. And tell us about your background as a climate activist and grassroots activism and why you've centered climate action in your campaign for state assembly. Oh, totally. So here in Lower Manhattan, Lower Manhattan um, we are surrounded by water on both sides. And we got hit by Hurricane Ida really hard. We got hit by Hurricane Sandy really hard. And for me, as a proud Indigenous person, my values are really informed by fighting for Mother Earth. And so when I joined the climate organizing world a few years ago, it felt like the natural fit for me. So whether it be fighting against, you know, illegal frack gas pipelines, trying to build in Brooklyn, um, fighting against the Astoria Energy Power Plant, which fortunately was shut down before it even, you know, began to be built, or fighting against this condescending power plant on 14th Street, which a few years ago uh, had explosions that were 60 foot high that had they spread, would have burnt down the Lower East Side. I've been very, very active in these fights. And I believe that um, the fossil fuel industry poisoning us and poisoning our working class is, I'm sick of it. And it's, it's uh, unforgivable. And I'm always going to be someone who is, you know, shedding light and, and bring, calling them out and say, hey, like, we're not, we're not going to tolerate you building, you, know, you billion dollar corporations building another frack gas, illegal infrastructure or whatever possible industry uh, infrastructure in, in these communities because they would never dare build them in like Soho or any of these rich neighborhoods. They always build them across from NYSHA buildings. They always build them across from working class immigrant communities and it's not okay. And, and one local issue in, in your district uh, environmental issue that's been a hot button topic for several years is the fate of East River Park. Uh, 50, the, the main green space on the Lower East Side uh, most of that has already been uh, obliterated, uh, and, and the rest of, of the thousand trees that were there are probably going to be chopped down soon. So the park is essentially gone, and, and the plan is to rebuild a new park on top of 10 feet of uh, dirt that will be brought in on barges. It could be many years before that project is finished, uh, knowing the way the city and the state work. And, of course, it'll take decades to regain the, the trees and the shade that existed before. But... This is a, a, a story we've c- followed closely over the past several years. Uh, the the local uh, politician and politicians in the Lower East Side uh, uh, supported the project. And I'm just wondering if, if you become a state assembly member, I mean, obviously the fate of the park has already been, dis- the old park has been decided. Do you see a role for yourself as, as some sort of ombudsman or advocate to make sure that the community gets the new park it was promised in a in a timely manner because my sense is the local figures down there uh are too closely tied to city hall to to really uh push back if the if these plans uh, go awry do you see a role for yourself um it's, it's really advocate for the community you know if, if this project uh, goes uh off the rails Absolutely. I think with every, um, every project like this, there's always a risk of this, you know, being a construction site for 10, 15 years. And that's the worst thing that could happen here. And that's the last thing we want down here. Um, more construction site breeds more toxic air pollution. And this is not what we need. So I absolutely want to hold, uh, these people accountable and make sure that they, they whatever park they build now is, is built as fast as possible. Obviously, it's unfortunate that. Um, they went ahead and, you know, rail, derailed the community, you know, so the community came up with the big U, which is like everyone agreed on the big U that was a resilient climate steel plant. And 
the city overruled it and they went ahead with their own plan. And do we need fallout protection? Of course, we need fallout protection. But the one they're building right now, I, it gives me pause. And, I'm, I'm, and I really am worried that it's not going to, I mean, by the time it's built, what if the sea, you know, the sea levels will have risen and what even be commensurate with what they're trying to do. And uh, from what I've seen, they've been doing a sloppy job so far. So absolutely, we need to uh, keep an eye on this and we definitely need to move to renewable energy now. Uh, and we need to confront the climate crisis at every corner. Right. And I was just there the other day um, and it's completely a construction site and, and people also don't have access to where they used to play sports, going to run, hang out with their friends, picnic, stuff like that. Um, yeah. This, this so. is the only park that many of these measure folks have. This is the only yeah. thing have. And so we, we do the larger picture. We need more green spaces, period, in lower Manhattan. Whenever I knock on a door, they want more parks, they want more dog parks. We don't really have that here. There's not that much space. And so I'm always against when I see a private developer like wanting to buy, buy a space and buy a lot and make it this, you know, condo. We can make that a park. We can have or affordable housing, right? It's And uh, we don't really see that here. Uh, and it's a real loss. Right. And, and yeah, it is. And to imagine that for a long time, uh, I think, should, you know, make people hopefully want to act. But back to your campaign, what are you hearing at the doors when you're talking to residents about public power? And Yeah, so we phrase it as, uh, how's your economist and how, you know, your bill gone up? And it's always yes. And then from there, that's our foot in the door. And we say, hey, have you heard of BPRA? And we explain it to them. And they actually really like it. I was very surprised. I was, as a climate organizer, I know that this fight isn't always the sexiest or most palatable or maybe the most understandable. But from what I, I've been proving through this campaign, like, oh, people are actually kind of, they're on board. And it's really exciting and heartening to see that. Um, obviously, they also care about free CUNY. I've been a champion of free CUNY and the new deal and new look for CUNY. And CUNY used to be free. Then the 70s, that, that was ended. And CUNY being free again will help so many working class folks, so many immigrants receive a high quality education. And of course, the New York Health Act, you know, a lot of these folks don't have health insurance. And I've been talking about that in the doors too. Right. And, and um, I was wondering if we could, uh, I mean, your campaign's knocked on over 40,000 doors. You've knocked on quite a few doors around your, your district. Um, I was wondering if, uh, if we could almost have a little role play here to give listeners a sense of what it's like to be a, a candidate on the doors uh, day after day. Of course, Jabari uh, uh, went went that same path to get to office. And uh, um, let me do a little role play here, and I, I'll be like the, the undecided voter. And, and and you can try to uh, persuade me and give me a sense of kind of how, you know, how you do it. And uh, Jabari, you used to be a public school teacher before you became a state senator. Maybe you can uh, grade at IAPA's uh, performance. There we you go. got it. All right. Uh, here we go. Knock, knock, knock. Uh, who's there? Hey, how's it going? My name is IAPA Sarah Tupac. I'm a social worker. I'm a candidate running for office. Have you heard of my campaign? Uh, uh, no, I haven't. You're you're running for for state legislature. Well, wh- why are you doing that? I mean, all the politicians are crooks. Why why, why are you going to be different? Yes, absolutely. Well, first, can I confirm? Is this John? Yes. Oh, John, good to meet you. It's Iapaga. Uh, so yes, I'm running because we need change down here. I'm running on a, a platform of fighting for affordable housing, public housing. We need CUNY to be free again. Maybe John, did you go to did you go to CUNY when you were younger? That was a long time ago. I I can barely remember being young. 
Maybe you have some neighbors that went to CUNY as well, but CUNY, as if you live this, uh, it was free up until the 70s and we're fighting to make it free again. Uh, I am proudly not accepting any, you know, real estate money, no fossil fuel money, no big Wall Street money, unlike my opponent. And I think a working class person should represent the working class. What do you think, John? But 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 how can I trust any of you? All the other politicians have, have let me down. Of course. So I'm running on a slate of other candidates across the city, and we are running uh, to empower the working class. And some of our colleagues have already been elected. And since being elected, they've already caused a lot of change and uh, fought for a working class in ways that have given them billions of dollars to our excluded workers, to our taxi drivers. So I hope to add to that to that uh, voting block in Albany so I can further uh empower my community and also be held accountable by people like you oh well this this card here it, it says uh, cl- you're going to do stuff about climate uh, how's that going to happen that that's just such a big problem how can of course. so have you how was your con edison bill uh been lately have you noticed anything it's killing me absolutely and i think that's a war in the working class and i believe and many people i know believe that energy is a human right and that it shouldn't be held hostage by a billion-dollar corporation. The very way in which we refrigerate our food comes from energy, and that shouldn't be uh, held by Con Edison. So we are fighting for a bill called the Build Public Renewables Act, which would get us off of Con Edison and into democratically-owned utilities. Uh, all right, but but how are we really going to change climate change? It's the whole, like the whole world. How can we change the weather for the better? I mean, w- w- weather's bad one day, good the next day. How how can we control that? Of course. So as you know, climate change happens because we're burning too many fossil fuels. And if we get into renewable energy, we'll get off of fossil fuels. We can have 100% solar and wind. Currently, we're only at 4% wind and solar, which is unacceptable. So the Build Public Renewables Act would give us that. And, uh, and yeah, we definitely have to keep an eye on these big corporations that don't care about the working class. Oh, all, all right. I, I, I probably have, shouldn't keep you too long. I know you're, you're a busy, busy young man. Yeah, but Thank you for talking to me. Can when, I count? when is this election? I didn't even know an election it's was June happening. June 28th, and there's also early voting. Can I count your support? I'll, I'll think about it. I, I appreciate you coming here. Yes, please spread the word, and maybe I'll turn off you one more time before the election. Uh, maybe you'll also get a volunteer to knock your doors if you want to engage, and that'd be great. And thanks so much, John. Have a great day. Thank, thank you. Thank you, young man. Wow. You. So in minivan, we put that as a three. We'd rank you a three because you're undecided. You're not really a one or a two, and you hadn't heard me before. So that would be our data. So then our our goal for the next you know time we hit our door, your door would be to move you to like a two or a one. So you're still on the fence. So uh, Jabari, how did Ayapa do on the – uh, a scale of one to five, uh, one being uh, top notch and five, uh, maybe uh, finding a new career. Yapa gets a two. Excellent presentation. But when asked why he's not corrupt and won't uh, betray the voter, forgot to mention that one way he differentiates from a lot of candidates is that he has morals and ethics around who he takes money from and who he doesn't take money from. So Yapa's not taking any dirty money, which can't be said of like, a lot of that. I said I wasn't said that. My bad. Well, then one. <laughs> I wasn't listening. No. <laughs> right on. So uh, we're going to probably have to uh, leave it here in a minute. But I get, it sounds like both of you guys enjoy uh, being out on the doors and talking to voters about these these issues. It's my favorite thing. I think the endorsement, I'm not sure if I use Jabari, but the endorsement forums can be kind of a slog. 
Uh, it feels like very horse and pony show, but the people talking to people is like, I love it. I could do it all day. As a social worker, I, I did do it all day. So I love listening to them. And it's fun. Like, okay, cool. This is why I'm doing it to talk to you, you know? Great. And, and you too, Jawari, you haven't gotten tired of going to the doors. That is my, fa- I prefer talking to people in Brooklyn more than people in Albany. So I <laughs> knock on doors in Brooklyn any day. Right on. Well, we, we, we appreciate you talking to us today on uh, WBAI Radio, uh, State Senator Jabari Brisport and Assembly Candidate Yapa Sari Tupac. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Thanks. Thanks okay. Hey. All right. We'll be back uh, after this uh, short break. was Idiotech by Radiohead. Welcome back to the Independent News Hour. I'm your host, Amba Gagarian, joined with my co-host, John Tarleton. Hi, Amba. It's great to be back. And uh, before we uh, continue with our next segment, uh, we want to take a a couple of minutes here to urge uh, all our listeners to please consider supporting WBAI Radio. Uh, We all know how unique WBAI is, a source of uh, news, public affairs, cultural programming, uh, corporate-free, commercial-free, but we need the support of our listeners at 212-209-2950 or give number to WBAI.org. Right, you can call 212-209-2950 or go online to give the number to WBAI.org. And you could give $5 a month and it might seem like nothing to you, but for us, if everybody gives $5 a month, that's what we need. And we need a lot of people to be donating a little bit. We need to meet people where they're at. And if you want to keep hearing this independent grassroots media every day coming at you 24-7, we need you to pitch in too. And that's 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 the reality. It's a sad reality that rent at Times Square is. How much is it every month, John? Uh, $17,000 a month for the antenna and the transmitter that WBAI has on top of uh, four Times Square just a block down from, uh, I mean, yeah, at, at the four Times Square uh, building. Uh, you you got to broadcast uh, the 90 mile radius that WBAI has. You got to be up at the top of one of these big skyscrapers, and that costs money in New York because we know in New York the rent is always too damn high. But what can you do? I mean, 
you, you either you're either on the air or you're not. And the reason we're asking for this support now is uh, WBAI is three months behind on that rent of, of that transmitter. It got ahead on the on the rent at the beginning of the year when people uh, gave generously. Uh, now we need another you know burst of uh, support. And I know for some people they're like, oh, you know, they're always asking for money at WBAI. Well, one obviously you know the, the station has so much great programming. People should want to support it if they're already listening to it. But the other thing is there is hope on the horizon. W, uh, WBAI is part of the Pacifica Radio Network, and after uh, several years of uh, of problems, the 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 network. Next year, we'll start once again receiving funding, millions of dollars a year in funding from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That will uh, help a lot uh, with the financial challenges that uh, WBAI faces. But right now, we've got to get through this year, uh, you know, doing the best we can and really counting on listeners to want to help out, to help us make the rent and and stay on the air two that's why we're saying 212-209-2950 or go to give number two wbai.org you can become a wbai buddy for as little as ten dollars a month you get all sorts of uh, awesome benefits that go with that but the biggest benefit of all is you're helping keep this radio station on the air helping keep voices that we heard earlier like uh jabari brisport and iapa on the air and also we're going to hear from some really powerful education advocates in the next few minutes uh, who are fighting back against these uh, draconian uh, budget cuts that have been leveled on our public schools uh, by the Adams administration and its allies on city council. Uh, but you can't, you won't hear those voices if we don't have the antenna beaming from the top of four times square, 52 story skyscraper right in the middle of the city. That antenna beams 90 miles in all directions, well into New Jersey, Long Island, the Hudson River, Westchester County, and further north. Than that, and of course, across the five boroughs, but got to have the money. Um, you know, that's the world we live in, at least for now. Maybe someday that won't be the case, but in in the here and now, we need people to call two one two two zero nine two nine five zero, or go online to give number two wbai.org, pull out the plastic, and make a one time contribution, or become a WBAI buddy. It all helps. It all makes a difference. You know, at the independent, we have to raise money to keep what we're doing going. I can tell you every single contribution, every single recurring monthly supporter we have at the independent, we treasure them and so appreciate their support. And I know uh, everybody at WBAI feels exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. And most of our supporters aren't rich people. You know, they're members of communities, they're workers, you know, they, they know what the hustle is. So uh, it is the, the reality, the sad reality, but we got to do it if we want to have reliable information. So last time you can call 212-209-2950 or go online to give number 2wbai.org. That's 212-209-2950 or online at give the number 2wbai.org. Right. And I'll just say it doesn't have to be a sad reality. We can make it a happy reality if we meet our needs. I mean, if if we take care of, of us, then that's great in a way and and there'll be more support in 2023 from the corporation for public broadcasting but you know let's take you know take a lemon and make some lemonade out of this situation a 209 a 212-209-2950 um we'll give that number again at before the end of the show but uh now we want to move to our our second segment uh and talk about um the 
city budget that was approved uh, last night at, at City Hall. Uh, um, the final vote was 44 uh, to 6, and uh, it's a $101 billion budget, the largest budget in New York City history. Uh, however, uh, while it re- uh, maintains full funding uh, for the uh, for the NYPD, for example, uh, there has been cuts in funding to a number of agencies, uh, including uh, the Department of Education, and these are cuts that are going to hit at the classroom level, are going to affect the children of New York. Um, one could argue there are pockets of the Department of Education that are stuffed full of uh, overpaid uh, bureaucrats, uh, going back to the Bloomberg administration, but these cuts are going to uh, hit the kids in the classrooms, and we're going to hear more about that. But um, there are some aspects of, of what happened last night that are uh, uh, really troubling, and just in terms of how the process uh, went down. Um, uh, the uh, the Speaker of the City Council, Adrian Adams, as we mentioned earlier, uh, she controls a $41 million fund that is used to allocate uh money to each of the council members uh, who in turn can use that their cut of the of that pie uh, to aid various community organizations uh, in their in their districts and a lot of these organizations really count on this money I mean it averages out to about eight hundred thousand dollars per district some council members get a little bit more if they're you know uh, favored by the speaker but everybody gets in on that um, however uh uh, seven council members were cut out of those funds. Uh, six, uh, six of those are, uh, progressives and socialists. There was one conservative Democrat as well. Uh, the, the six, uh, socialists and progressives who refused to support, uh, this retrograde, uh, budget, uh, uh were, uh, council member Charles Barron, uh, Kristen Richardson Jordan, uh, also, uh, Tiffany Caban, Alexa, uh, Aviles, uh, those four all identify as socialists. And, and then also, uh, Sandy Nurse and, and Chi Ose, uh, they were, uh, elected last year after being leaders in the Black Lives Matter protest of 2020. These members felt like they just could not support this budget that, you know, props up the NYPD once again and cuts funding for school kids and others. And for taking that principled stance, they're not, they're not just being punished, but they're, their constituents, their often working class constituents, um, are, are going to be deprived of these resources. And while $800,000 per district is not a huge amount of money compared to the total size of the budget, those are resources that are uh, desperately needed. And, uh, I mean, like just one example we uh, learned about uh, today and, and credit uh, Patch for the reporting on this. In uh, Tiffany Caban's district in uh, in Astoria, Queens, uh, where you know she's being uh, cut out of the money, uh, you know one institution that's going to uh, lose out on one hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars is the uh, um, uh, it's a community center that uh, that houses, among other things, the Variety Boys and Girls Club, which offers after-school programming like swim lessons and art classes to about 4,000 children in Western Queens. This group is actually expanding its services over to Jackson Heights, but now all of a sudden they've lost out on a hundred and it's looking like they could lose out on $150,000 in support. They may have to lay off staff or cut back on their, on their programming. And so, you know, this is when the political game really goes off the rails 
when when I, I mean I, I I get it why like Adrian Adams is, would be like okay I gotta get everybody in line to you know pass this thing and, and you gotta you know use carrots and sticks but the collateral damage is the kids <laughs> and other community institutions uh, that really count on this funding so hopefully there'll be a way to ameliorate this going forward but that's the kind of games that were going on last night to to ensure the passage of this measure and there are a number of other progressives who voted for it i i doubt they were happy to vote for it they probably you know uh having a hard time maybe looking in the mirror uh this morning but they did it because they it maybe in part because they felt like they had to keep these funds coming to their to their districts and uh so basically a lot of community organizations are essentially were taken hostage to ensure the passage of of this budget that's kind of how the sausage was made uh, but we're really uh, you know and um before we go to a guest we also had uh, uh our reporter uh, uh Yastika Guru and and Sue Brisk were outside city hall yesterday talking to education advocates and protesters and um i think we can cue that up and just hear those voices uh, uh for a couple of minutes here and then we're going to go to our uh, our guests to vote on Mayor Adams' first official budget um, with some dramatic cuts to New York City public schools for absolutely no reason when there are billions of dollars in coffers across the city as well as there's still unspent money from the federal government for schools. And so we are here to let the city council know that that is not okay. Unlike some other budgets in the past, the back, the, the education our budget cuts that are coming down are going directly to schools. Uh-huh. There are schools who are losing millions of dollars yeah. in their everyday budget. Yeah. And so we really want to make sure that people know what is happening. And so hold their city council member accountable yeah. and make sure that most of the council today is going to vote yes on some horrific cuts to education, to uh, mental health care, mm-hmm. to housing, mm-hmm. to, all, to public health services. Mm-hmm. And that is not how you take care of a city. No, no. We came together specifically because we are seeing all these cuts happen to education, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in education cuts in a moment where we're not past the pandemic. And New York City got $7 billion from the federal government to ensure that children, especially black, brown, and poor children, and those most marginalized, would not be harmed. We are not yet out of a pandemic, and there's no reason that this mayor and city council should be cutting any money from education. In terms of what people can do outside is hold our elected members accountable Many of them um, signed petitions we put out, signed letters, signed on to platforms stating that that education and education justice was a priority for them. So for them to say all those things on the campaign trail and then to come in here and, you know, knowingly cut, you know, up to a billion dollars over the next few years out of the budget while also bloating the already bloated NYPD budget and actually creating a, you know, this is a historic budget. And I think New Yorkers need to know that the historic nature of this budget is that it is the most heavily funded NYPD budget ever, right? And so I think New Yorkers should be holding their council members accountable. They should be calling them, demanding, you know, at least from now until 7 p.m. that they should vote no. Um, but they also need to be moving forward, um, holding them accountable for the decisions that they are making. And there will be three other budgets under this mayor, under this city council that need to be done with the justice lens. So that, uh, that was, uh, uh, Zakira Ansari, Natasha Capers, and Matt Gonzalez, uh, education advocates speaking to the independent outside City Hall yesterday. 
the budget, of course, was approved uh, despite those protests. And joining us now to talk about uh, what has happened and its impact on public education in New York uh, is uh, Lainey Hameson of Class Size Matters, longtime education advocate, and Clarice Salas Ramirez of the uh, um, of more the movement of uh, rad- radical educators. Um, thank you, both of us, for joining on the day after this uh, budget was approved. Thanks for having us. So, uh, Lainey, uh, you want to start? Uh, um, what's going to be the impact in the classroom of, of what went down yesterday? Well, the last time New York City school budgets were cut to this extent was during the 2007-2008 Great Recession. It was unacceptable then, but even more now, given that we have a city budget and surplus billions of dollars in reserve, more state education funding uh, by $1.3 billion and nearly $5 billion in unspent federal stimulus funds that are meant for our schools. Um, what happened last time was that class sizes sharply increased and students lost valuable and critical programs and services. So I'm assuming the same thing will happen um, next year. The, uh, the, the, the line that the mayor and the city council are using is that uh, the schools are fully funded in terms of fair student funding, which was a budget formula that was devised by Joel Klein during Mayor Bloomberg's administration in 2007 that has never been either fair or sufficient for our schools, is aligned with very large class sizes of at least 28, and is hugely flawed. And the idea that we should be funding schools on the basis of a formula that was created in 2007 by Joel Klein and that we should be rationalizing these cuts to schools based on that formula is ridiculous. I've been um, sounding the alarm about this proposed budget to the city council, to parent groups, to education groups since probably January or February. And sadly, nobody was listening much. It was only when the actual school-based budgets came out last week that everybody woke up and said, wow, this is really going to be devastating. And so, um, you know, we've had call, uh, we've, we've asked parents before then to call, uh, to call their council members, to write the chancellor, to call the mayor, but not enough did. The council never restored those cuts in either their response to the preliminary budget or the executive budget. And um, we actually heard that at the last minute after the cuts were actually announced, the school-based budget cuts were announced, the council was having second thoughts. And Adrian Adams, the speaker, um, was quoted as saying both in the Daily News and Politico that this was not going to go forward, that she was not going to allow cuts to schools. Then the next day, these quotes appeared. Uh, they hurriedly um, actually scheduled a vote on the next day, on Monday. It's it's weeks earlier than the deadline. The deadline is June 30th. Uh, the, 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 the vote happened late at night. I'm not sure why they had to rush this through unless they realized that if they left it to more time, the outrage and the disappointment and the fervor would grow further and further. Uh, grow, grow larger and larger. And I don't know whether you saw this, but on Twitter, somebody actually tweeted a video of the mayor walking down the street in the Brooklyn Gate Pride Parade. And there was spontaneous booing from people sitting at cafes on the street saying, 
don't cut our schools, don't cut our schools. So the message was received. It was unfortunately received too late. Um, the panel for educational policy already voted to approve. Well, they voted down the fair student funding formula, but I think it's coming to a vote again. Clarice can say tomorrow. And I think Adams has another appointment. So it will likely go through at that time. But the problem is that we should not be basing school funding on something, an arbitrary, irrational, damaging formula that causes that according to principal surveys, more than 80% of principals say it incentivizes them to overcrowd classrooms and overcrowd schools. And this was a, a poison pill that was devised by Joel Klein in 2007, which is what, 15 years ago now. So anyone yeah. who tells you that this fully funds fair student funding and so it's an okay budget is really talking through their hat. Absolutely. And, and so we're going to pivot to you, Kalitis. Ask, um, can you tell us about your perspective as a parent and where you'll see this impact also as a teacher, of course? Uh, so full disclaimer, although I am a parent ally to more and organize with them, I am not <laughs> a teacher. I am a parent leader. Uh, I am part of the coalition. It's okay. I, hey, I, I would love to claim it, but I can't because they're amazing. Um, uh, I, we are more as part of a coalition, New Yorkers for Racially Just Public Schools, um, of which I am part of the steering committee of. Um, we are also partnered with the People's Plan and the People's Plan once uh, Mayor Adams released his proposed budget. We actually organized several actions against the cuts uh, for our public schools. I also serve as Mark Levine's PEP appointee. Um, so I am part of the New York City School Board. And Lainey's right. We've been talking about the fair student funding formula for several months now. Uh, we actually, the first time it was proposed to the panel, it was not voted through um, because there were some concerns that there are certain Certain student populations that are not represented in that formula. And so in turn, schools are disinvested in and we have a lot of our most marginalized students not getting the appropriate support while we have some students in very affluent schools, for example, the specialized high schools that are getting really large weights in that fair student funding formula. And so in turn, they get more funding. Uh, and so it's a real concern in terms of equity. It's a real concern in terms of being able to differentiate between English language learners and students with IEPs that have diverse needs. Um, there isn't a straight uh, weight for students in temporary housing or students in foster care. And so we're we're really concerned about moving um, this formula forward. Uh, the vote did come up last month um, on the May 18th PEP, um, and the Department of Education has made a commitment to create a work group to revise the formula. In 2019, um, Mayor de, uh, de Blasio had a task force which submitted some recommendations, but as part of those recommendations, there needed to be a thorough financial analysis of the budget to see how those weights could actually be brought together in order to have an equitable formula, and that wasn't done. That's where it stopped. Um, and it stopped because we got hit with the pandemic. Um, and I just want to be clear, we're still in a pandemic. Uh, you know, kids right. still need lots of these services and they're not going to be provided if we cut, if we take this cut in our school budget, which we now have to deal with. Right. And we're, we're going to have to go in another minute or so, but, uh, either one of you, if you want to jump in on this, uh, how has the pandemic affected the public schools in, uh, 
wouldn't that argue for increasing the support for the schools, not cutting it back? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the reason why we are getting these cuts is because the formula is tied to enrollment. Enrollment has declined sharply, which has actually led to smaller class sizes in many of our schools. And that the citywide average has substantially declined. And what parents and teachers tell me is this is the first time in many years or ever that they, the teachers have been able to do their job and, and reach students effectively. Parents say it's the first time the parent told me she's had kids in the public schools for seven years. It's the first year ever that she thinks her kid is getting what they need from their teachers. It is more important than ever, given all the losses suffered and all the disruptions from the pandemic, that class sizes do not go up next year, which is what's going to happen as a result. And I just want to make another point, which um, I think is really important, which is uh, um, on June 3rd, the state legislature passed a new law that requires New York City to start reducing class sizes in all grades starting next fall. And essentially, the governor and the city council are thumbing their nose at the intent of this law that was um, passed overwhelmingly by the state legislature um, just a couple, you know, just 10 days ago. Right, we have uh, 20 seconds. So what, what I'm asking people to do is sign a petition to the governor, which you can find at the Class Size Matters website, um, a link to, asking her to sign this bill as soon as possible because once it's signed, we can try to use it legally as a lever to limit the damage of these cuts um, okay. because there is no way they can reduce class sizes given these cuts. In fact, class sizes will go up substantially right. and hurt our, 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 our kids who need smaller classes now more than ever before. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. But Lainey Hampson from uh, Class Size Matters and Clearest Solace Ramirez, member of New York City School Board, and, and uh, school parent, both of you, thank you so much for joining us on WBAI Radio. Hi. Okay, and so we'll have to leave it there. Uh, before we sign off, thank you to Board Operator Reggie Johnson, also uh, other members of the independent radio team, uh, Yaswika uh, Guru, uh, Molly Morrow, uh, Sue Brisk, and Owen Schock. And once again, that phone number, 212-209-2950, to support WBAI. And Amba, what's our uh, music here we're going to sign off with? This is Hometown by Witch.